we can gather together. We lift up these requests to you and pray that your will would be done, Lord. Um, and uh, if it's your will to, to put a healing hand upon upon the saints mentioned and, and others mentioned, um, we pray you would. But, uh, but if it's your will to give them grace and strength to make it through whatever they will, we pray that you would do that too. Lord. Whatever your will, we just bow to your sovereignty and we bow to your will. We pray you'd be with us today as we meet together. Pray that you would, you, the, the gospel message would go forth with power, that you would um, give me liberty and freedom to preach your gospel and all that the saints would be built up and that we would look to you, Lord Jesus. We want to see you. We, we, we go through a week of, of, of being in the world and, and the things about us and hearing things in the world and seeing things in the world. And Lord, we just want to, we just want to see you. You must increase and we must decrease. So, oh Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified, that you'd be magnified in the preaching and in the singing and just in our worship, that you would receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> out in the back of the track rack, I printed out a little bolt, and we're going to go through, for the next five weeks, we're going to go through a study on the tulip, on, on um, Calvinism is so much more than just the tulip. Folks often ask me, they say, well, do you believe in the tulip? And I say, well, yeah, I do, but I also believe much more. <laughs> There's much more to, to what I believe than just five points. But I'd like to study, start a study this week, and, and I believe that these are foundations of the faith. These are foundations of the faith. And, and grace believers believe these foundations. And as I said, someone recently asked me if I believe all five points of Calvinism, and I replied, yes, I do. And I like to call them the doctrines of grace. So the study is going to be called Study on the Doctrines of Grace. Study on the Doctrines of Grace. And I told them, I said, well, there's much, much more to what I believe than just five points. There's so much more. And what we believe is a theology and a body of what we believe is, as I said, it's, 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 but it can be summed up. It can be summed up in, in, in these five points. And remember this too, when someone asks you if you believe the five points, qualify them to what they mean. Ask them, well, what do, what do you mean by the five points? Because a lot of times, I've discovered this in talking with people through the years, it isn't what I believe. <laughs> they, they've been told something that isn't even what I believe. So always qualify them. It's, it's important for us to do that. Now we like to call ourselves grace believers. I remember talking to Brother Donnie and he said, somebody talked to him one time and said, well, what do you guys call yourself? And he said, well, we call ourselves grace believers. And I, and I like that because we do. We believe in the grace of God in Christ. Because we believe that the fountainhead of what we believe is found in the grace of God in Christ. Right? That's where it springs from. What we believe springs from God and from his grace. And the message proclaimed from the pulpit is always the free grace of God in Christ. This is what we believe, and so this is what we proclaim. Because we, and we believe it because the scriptures say it. 
We don't believe it because some man said it. We believe it because the Word of God says it. That's what's most important. Salvation is of the Lord. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And this is what the scriptures proclaim. Now some, when you tell them you're a Calvinist, they immediately recoil. Had it many times. Oh, yeah. Oh. And they just recoil. And it's, I like what Spurgeon, I got a quote by Spurgeon that he said. He said, there is no such thing as preaching Christ and him crucified unless we preach what nowadays is called Calvinism. It is a nickname to call it Calvinism. Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. I do not believe we preach the gospel if we do not preach, and and this is the tenets of what we believe, justification by faith without works. Nor unless we exalt the electing, unchangeable, eternal, immutable, conquering love of Jehovah. Nor do I think we preach the gospel unless we base it upon a special and particular redemption of his elect and chosen people which Christ wrought out on the cross. So let us always remember this. Let us remember this. All Calvin did was take truths from the scripture and put them in a way that my mind could understand. And he sorted them into a systematic theology which we could understand. And the doctrines of grace did not spring from Calvin. It finds its foundation in the Word of God. It finds its foundation in the Word of God and in Christ and in the marvelous things that he has done. In these precious truths, they exalt the sovereignty of God and they humble the pride of man. They show us natural man's condition before God. They show us God's electing grace. They show us Christ's atoning sacrifice for his people. They show us God's irresistible, or I like to call it, invincible grace. You can't resist it, and it's invincible. It will accomplish what it sets out to do. And it shows us God's Keeping power. And the five points which we believe as a church are presented this way. Number one, total depravity. Also known as total inability and original sin. So that's the T of the tulip. Unconditional election. God chose the people according to his good pleasure. Limited atonement, also known as particular atonement. That when Christ died, he died for his sheep. He didn't die for everyone. He died for his people on Calvary's cross. Irresistible grace or invincible grace. Oh, God will save his sheep. In perseverance of the saints, also known as once saved, always saved. God's keeping power. Those he saves, he keeps. He won't lose one of them. That's a good thing. Because we sinners, we wander off. But he keeps us. And going through this study, we'll see that they all come from Scripture. And we'll also see that they're all linked together, too. You take one out and the whole, 
that doesn't sustain itself, but it's all linked on God's truth too, and it's all linked together. It's all linked together. And these doctrines were held by many in the past and are held by great churches all around the world. From Calvinism started this, Bible translation, Wycliffe and Tyndale. Literature distribution, Huss, Luther, Tyndale, and Calvin. All believers in the doctrines of grace. Preaching, countrywide evangelism, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. Also great preachers in the faith. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. Strongly believed the gospel and the doctrines of grace. Modern missionary movement. Carey and Fuller and Bernard and Livingstone and Judson and Hudson Taylor. These men were strong, strong believers of the doctrines of grace. And some people say that if you believe these points, it'll kill evangelism. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'll tell you, it doesn't. It, it, it gives you more of a heart for for evangelism and more of a heart for missions because you know that the word's going out and God will accomplish what he sets out to do. We trumpet the gospel and God does the saving. And that's what happens. Salvation is of the Lord. And we're to support and pray for missionaries that God would use them for his glory. And we rejoice when we hear the great things he's doing. We rejoice when we hear that God has given our brothers liberty in the mission field to preach the gospel. So let's look at the first point, total depravity. Total depravity. These precious doctrines, as I said, they're all linked together. We'll look at what the Word of God says, not man's opinion, what the Word of God says, what does it say, and we'll appeal to Scripture alone and for the glory of God alone. He gets all the glory. And all the honor. So the acronym of TULIP is, the first letter is total depravity, the T. So what do we mean when we say that man is totally depraved? Totally depraved. It is a teaching that as a result of the fall of Adam, that we're all sinners. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. Now, that sin is in our heart and in our mind, and in our emotions, in our body, and everything that we do is tainted by sin. One thing that I'd like to point out is that total depravity does not mean that a person is as bad as they could be. It doesn't mean that. God restrains us. And we are affected by sin in every part of us. Sin has affected all parts of man. It's total inability. Total depravity means we have no ability on our own to come to God. None at all. None at all. We lack the ability to come to him, and we lack the ability to save ourselves. And we are completely sinful in everything that we do. It has so tainted us that we are, we're sinners. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah 17, 9, and also Mark 7, 21 to 23. We are completely sinful in everything we do, and we believe that the Scripture declares this. 
And hopefully this will give us, when folks ask us questions about what we believe, this we can say, well, we believe that man is, has no ability to come to God. And hopefully this will give us the scriptures that we can show that to folks. So what is the state of man in his natural lost condition? Let's look at some scriptures which describe our state when we're unbelievers, before we're born again. And often we hear the phrase, just let Jesus into your heart, right? You hear that all the time, don't you? Just let Jesus into your heart. Well, the problem is man's heart's wicked. And if God does not do a work in us, we'll never come to him. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So here before us, the heart of man is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in Mark, if you turn over to Mark chapter chapter 7, so man's heart is evil and it's sinful. And that's scripture that declares that. That's not my opinion, your opinion. That's what scripture says. Mark 7, 21 to 23 says this. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceeded evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an eye, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evils come from within and defile the man. And This is pretty sobering what we're going to look at. But it, it, it'll show us that man has no ability. So this is the state of natural man's heart when we're born into this world. And because of our state, our state and because sin taints all that we, we do, then man is a slave to sin, right? We're a slave to sin. And we do not desire the things of God. I remember before the Lord saved me, I did not desire God and the things of God. And scripture says in Romans 6.20, I'll read this, but if you want to write it down for reference, or if you want to turn there, you can. Romans 6.20 says, For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. So think of this. In our, in our natural, unregenerate state, we are slaves and servants of sin. Free from righteousness means that we had no interest in righteousness. No interest in the things of God. And was it not that, was that not so for us, who the Lord saved later in life, and we realized, oh my goodness, I had no care for God, or for the things of God. I had no desire for him. So this is the state of natural man. man. And it's the state of all of us, how we were born into this world. Man does not also seek God. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. And we'll look at a little portion in Romans chapter 3. Folks always say, well, just come to Jesus. Well, you can unless he makes you willing. Because no man seeks God. We saw, we saw the shepherd seeks the sheep. Eh? Romans chapter 3. 
Now, religious hucksters will try to get folks to pray a prayer, right? They say, oh, just bow your head and repeat this prayer. Now you're a child of God, you say. That's nothing but what we call decisional regeneration. That's not Holy Spirit regeneration. That's decisional regeneration. And that person, if they don't repent and if God doesn't save them, they'll go right to hell. Man is a slave to sin and will never come to God as we do not seek him. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then, are we better than they? No in the wise, for we have all, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So this verse shows man's total depravity, right? We all fell in Adam. We're all under sin. When Adam fell in the garden, we fell with him. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us are righteous. We saw that last week. We can't, we can't weave our own robe of righteousness like filthy rags. So not one of us can stand in God's presence based upon our works or our merit. Look at the next verse. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. So here we have that no one can understand the things of God in their natural state. And then Scripture declares there's none that seeketh after God. Do you see the total inability? We have no ability in ourselves to come to God. None. And this is what Scripture declares. So man is dead in his sins, a slave to sin, heart that's deceitfully wicked, right, and has no desire for God and cannot seek him. Verse 12, they're all gone out of the way, they're all together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, that's everyone. Sin has, sin has, we're all sinners. Sin has affected us in everything we do. And these are scriptures that we can use to show people their inability. Also, man in his natural state, he does not understand the things of God. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 2, and also put your finger in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, some folks have head knowledge of doctrine. They can tell you stuff. I used to be able to tell you all kinds of stuff, but no heart knowledge, no no hard work has been done. You got a head knowledge, but no, no hard work. Man is natural, lost state, cannot understand spiritual things. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You must be born again. I remember reading this book before the Lord saved me. And it was just ink on paper. But then the Lord saved me. It's a whole new book. <laughs> it's a whole new book. And in Ephesians 2, we're familiar with this, but this is a great verse to take folks to, to show our natural state when we come into this world. Ephesians 2. And you, verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in the Greek there means graveyard dead, dead. 
Where in times past he walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That was our state before the Lord saved us. Dead. And that's the state of every, every single person that comes into this world. Dead spiritually. And that ties in with 1 Corinthians. We could not discern the things of God. So man has no ability. Think of this. Can a dead man seek things? Nope. He's dead. Can a dead man hear things? No. He's dead. Can a dead man see things? Nope. Nope. Can a dead man understand things? That was our state. So the answer, so the question in light of Scripture that declare the man's true nature is being utterly lost and incapable of coming to God on their own. We cannot on our own. So how is it possible for anyone to desire God or to flee to God? The answer is he cannot on his own. But remember, Scriptures we looked at, but with God, with with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So this sums up. What we've looked at sums up the T, right? Total inability. Total depravity. Man cannot come to God on his own. He's totally depraved. But here's the good news. God can't leave us there. Right? Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God must save us if we're ever to be saved. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Because of our fallen nature, we are, we are born dead in trespasses and sins. And if we're born again, we're born again not by our own will, but by God's will. Look at John 1, verses 10 to 12. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. God's people are made willing in the day of his power. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. It's God's work. It's his work. Those who are unable to come to God are made willing to come to God. And then look a little further down in verse 13 and 14, which were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we, we are trusting and resting in Christ and him alone. And God must save us if we're ever to be saved. Because we saw our state, our natural state. He must grant us faith. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. God must grant us faith. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27 to 30. 
Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. For unto you is given. God must grant you faith. It's given to you. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So verse 29 shows us that faith is given. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And he gives it to his people. He gives it to his people. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 6, and then also 1 Peter chapter 1. I know I have us moving around a lot, but these are scriptures that we can use to show folks and say, look, this is salvations of the Lord. It's all he's doing. This was our state, and God saved me. What a wondrous work he's done. And he gets all the glory. You see, we can't glory in any of this. It's amazing. He gets it, and we wouldn't want to. He gets it all. He gets it all. John chapter 6. It's a work of God when he saves a saint. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Right? They want to do something. That's natural man. <laughs> what must I do to be saved? Paul just says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Look what our Lord, look what our Master answers. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Oh, it's the work of God. His Holy Spirit regenerates us, and we flee to Christ. It's the work of God that you believe on him. Born again by the Holy Spirit, and then we believe on Christ. And the, the new birth is a divine work. It's a divine work. This is the work of God. It's his doing. It is accomplished by the will of God, by the Holy Spirit supplying the word and living power to our heart. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. Being born again. And remember in John chapter 3, our, our master said, you must be born again. You must be. You must be. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass. And the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower Thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Oh, it's wonderful. And who are the ones who will believe? Next week, we'll look at unconditional election. 
And turn with me, if you would, to Acts 13, and we're, we're close with this. Who are the ones who believe? The ones who are ordained by God to believe. If you're saved, it, it was ordained by God that you believe. That's wonderful. Because we know we couldn't, remember the text we were looking at? We could never seek God on our own, could we? But if you believe, God's ordained it. It's a work of God. And he's ordained it. And those who believe are chosen in Christ. They are blood-bought by the, by the precious blood of our Savior. He paid it all. And, but we're, and we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And look what, what Acts 13 says, verse 47 and 48. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard, when they heard this, oh, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And look at this. And as many as were ordained, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, based upon absolutely nothing in us, but simply by his mercy and his grace and his pleasure. And this still stands today. We preach the gospel. We put the gospel out. And as many as ordained, believe. As many as were ordained to eternal life, believe. Glory to God.